More TV superheroes, just what the world needs. Ugh. Warning. DC on R&D, the Doom Patrol edition, contains adult language and discussions, as well as the occasional sexually explicit joke, and from time to time, some crude and off-color remarks. If you're easily offended, don't continue to listen. And then go fuck yourself. All right, hello, welcome everyone to DC on RMD, the Doom Patrol edition. We are back after almost a year hiatus. No shows, nothing to discuss, only our own tears to keep us company after the season finale just about a year ago. Hello, I'm in the studio with David. Hello, everybody. And Paul is here to join us as well. Hello. All right, so we are back for another season of quirky and eccentric DC fun. We're going to be talking about season two, episode one, the premiere, Fun Size Patrol. So the entire team is back. I went blank for a second. I forgot where I was at. This this episode left you stunned, didn't it? No, I think it's the drug abuse. I'm just going to come clean right now. <laughs> oh, oh just you're, lost my mind. Cool it, Jane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like crazy Jane now. Yeah, heroin dreams. So, yes, the entire crew is back, Niles and the gang, and it is now streaming on HBO Max, which is very exciting as more eyes and attention will now be on this show. And I'm wondering if the writers are excited or scared. They're like, shit, you know, before we had a great show and we were just kind of going under the radar. People loved it. We were like at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critically, it was a success. And now now suddenly it's on HBO Max. More people are going to see it. The pressure's there now. So I would love to find out, are these writers excited or, you know, have like a quarter chub? They're, they're a little hard about it, but then also a little cautious, right? Let's get them on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the first question I asked Jeremy Carver, the showrunner. I'm like, all right, so Jeremy, um, quarter chub? <laughs> or raging hard on. Go ahead. Go ahead and answer that. He'll probably hang up. It'll be an instant dial tone. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> so, yes, the series is still available on the DC Universe app, but it's now officially considered an HBO Max original. All of the marketing, even the hashtags, because at first I thought maybe it was a dcu stargirl maneuver where they're just simply resyndicating it on the cw and it's not a cw show it's a dcu show but no everything changed if you go to their twitter page their facebook everything it's about hbo max they don't even use the dcu doom patrol hashtag any longer it's just simply doom patrol hashtag hbo max so this is a hbo max original now and I'm happy. I am because you and I, Dave, ha we talked about how beautiful this show was in pretty much every aspect of, of writing, acting, all of it. But now suddenly it's no longer going to be our little secret. And I want people to enjoy this. But now that people can enjoy it, I'm, I'm getting greedy. I see these articles popping up saying, hey, brand new show I found. Go fuck you. <laughs> I've been here since the beginning. I know, I know. But that's the way of comics, though. Yeah, yes, I mean, that's it, true. It, it, it's so, like, people constantly saying, oh, I just found this, and but it's been out for, like, decades, and people only find it now. Yeah. It's amazing to me, like, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol itself, 
People love Doom Patrol, but how long has Doom Patrol been in the DC universe? Probably since the 60s and 70s. Kind of like a hot chick. That's how I feel about Doom Patrol. It's like, hey, I want everyone to know. Look at (laughs) this freaking hot. Look at those boobs. <laughs> that, that, uh, if, the, if we had the, a camera, yeah, if we had a camera, I wish we could have seen you pantomiming. I'm like, going, what kind of boobs do, do that? <laughs> like, look at those boobs, but no touching. It's, That's how I feel about Doom Patrol. I'm like, look at this, but don't fucking get your grubby little hands all over it. It's almost like they took a team of cool and established characters and moved them under the uh, the leadership of a different, more established character. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Uh, the only negative out of all of this, honestly, is that there will only be nine episodes this season. Whereas last year we had 15. Yes. I was surprised with that, honestly, because like it did so well that I'm like thinking, shouldn't have it deserved a longer run? It needs to be 15 again, because that that was one of the things that was so awesome about it. It could be the fact that it was renewed before HBO Max was a thing and DCU was already trying to consolidate shows. Like, I'm going to be sad that I have less content this time around, but at the same time, like... Do what's good for the show. Yes. Don't don't drag the story. I mean, that's one of the worst things about just the general CW shows. It's like none of those need to be 22, 23 episodes <laughs> long. 15 would be fine. So, you know. You have a good point there. Um, well, there's only so many shitty relationships we can see crumble in one season. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> so just, you know, in general, do I want more episodes? Definitely. But, like, I'm confident that we're going to get a solid story. And we already got a whole bunch of character development in this first episode of season two. Yeah. So just carry that on for nine episodes and I'll be happy with it. I'll miss it when it's done either way. Yeah, I'm not going to complain. I'm just happy that the show was renewed because this is easily the best DC TV series to ever grace our televisions, in my humble opinion. The DCU is putting out some pretty good DC content, but nothing compares to Doom Patrol. There's just nothing. Because of the... I hate to, I hate to say this because there is so much, so so many other shows out there for the DC universe, but Doom Patrol... I don't know, just has so much more substance going on with everything. And it it's way more impactful than any other any other series I've ever covered. I want to take a step out of DC. Doom Patrol is just a fucking good show. People should watch it. I had that on my notes. I'm like leaving the DC element completely out of the of the equation just for a moment. And yes, this is just a great piece of television. Fuck the DC aspect. Just watch it. And I know we've had listeners, Dave, that listen to our discussions and and uh they started watching simply because it's jeremy carver from supernatural supernatural and because of that it's managed to garner a lot of viewers because of that and the people i've heard from say i'm not really a comic book person uh are other dc shows as good as this i'm like um no (laughs) (laughs) no not really but like even even you know just compared into a genre comic books yeah I think Doom Patrol is probably the best comic book show. I mean, if you compare yeah. Marvel. Oh, I mean, they're, oh they're, dude. That, that, yeah. Well, is there anything into a whole in other territory here. I, I don't know. There's been some good stuff. That's a boys we comes do. close. Boys comes close to being that good. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it's also very different. And it's very different. If yeah. you want to cry during every episode, I know there's some people like that. Me. And then this is the show for you. 
<laughs> so stupid. No, dude. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, I thought we would get a reprieve. No, from the on. emotions because, like, the last season There's was like nine so episodes heavy. this time, and it's like they no, got to make you cry. We're going to make you cry sooner. so this, many times. You're right still going to cry fifteen times this season, <laughs> but you only get nine episodes. Yeah, there's just so much heart and emotion. The way Jeremy Carver and his team of writers use the larger than life, and this is the best thing when it comes to the show for me. They're using the larger than life. They're not shying away from comic book elements, but they're using those elements uh, to capture and frame real problems and the different types of trauma that affect millions of people around the world. And that's an achievement that deserves recognition. I mean, it's art, it's poetry, it's entertaining, it's beautiful. And I feel like Carver paints on this Doom Patrol canvas in such a way it shows a willingness to be vulnerable in front of your audience. And that is true art. It feels personal. It's an example of an empathic writer. And part of me wonders if Carver is a sad soul. Because you can't write shit like this unless you feel it. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Oh, no, yeah. Because like he, there has to be... There has to be some connection emotional connection a writer has to that that a writer has to have in his writing to actually make make the characters feel this way because they're really there's a lot going on in here i thought that the the surprising thing for me was i thought we would continue a lot of the what the trauma from next season but carver was last season from last season And then Carver was able to actually go, no, we're going to go in a different direction with each and every character, but it's a different drama that's tied to the drama from last season. Trauma built on trauma. Yeah, everyone's got a new trauma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, but the thing is, if what do you say of Paul? It sounds like that's a terrible thing to do well, as a it's, writer. It's so, like, genuinely, it's when you've got characters this fucked up, it's therapy. You work through something, and when you figure out, like, okay, this is this, is this and I'm going to start to work to get over this, then you just move on to the next thing, the next, the next thing. problem. Yeah. So it it works for all of them. That's it a genius works. statement, Paul, because that's exact. That's a brilliant way to look at it. In therapy, essentially, we're all in therapy. Yeah, that's you're you're watching these people work through their problems. Once they tackle the first problem, it's not going to go away, and it's going to affect the decisions these characters make, but now it's time to move on to the next one while you work on that. That's exactly what we're witnessing. Yeah. And I like the fact that instead of making it, making it all look doom and gloom there, there's points where, you know, especially with the character of oh, Rita, some levity as yeah, well with, with like Rita. I thought that was genius. What they did, they continue Rita's story from yeah, the Rita, end. Rita has grown so much she, as a character and she's still broken. But, oh, for sure. <laughs> but she's still learning and it's it's uh, it, it's like a sharp contrast between her and the other teammates that it kind of feels like Rita might be the leader at this point. She's working into that mode to mm-hmm. becoming the leader. She seems like she has the most optimism, which is interesting, which is weird. Yeah, I'm actually looking <laughs> forward to getting to that topic in a moment here. So we are going to be a bit behind with these breakdowns because the HBO Max gods decided to drop three episodes on us. And if you can't tell, we can only handle one episode at a time. There's, <laughs> there's too much in the in a series like this to just say, fuck it, let's sit down and record three episodes. So we're going to take our time. We're well, going to go how hard, one episode a week. How hard would it have been to actually come up with the show notes for the three episodes for you? 
How hard? Well, I would need a, a bottle of whiskey and a couple lines of blow I just so that want... when I get too low, I can bring myself back up. This recording was already pushed a day and a half Yeah, just from watching the initial episode. I can, I can see basically me and Paul walking in if we had to cover all three and Mike's just like this ball of mess on it on the desk going I'm so depressed G- guys I don't want to do it anymore David you actually came into the studio today with your sponsor <laughs> so stupid all right so in this episode fun size patrol there is already so much set up and the writers were able to transition right into this season's myth arc like it was nothing Okay, let's let's get into this officially. No more edging. Dave, before we move any further, okay. I want to hear, in a nutshell, 30 seconds or less, your initial thoughts, and then we're going to move to Paul. Okay, initial thoughts. I'm really happy with Doom Patrol returning. I w- was a little hesitant and hoping that basically they wouldn't suffer the sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. They did not. Episode one just continues where <laughs> season one left off, and it was... it was a fun ride it's still really good and i i'm still guessing where i'm still trying to figure out where they're going to go which is so refreshing because that means it's so unpredictable right now with the story and that's good writing Mm -hmm. make your audience actually continue watching the show make them keep questioning where they're going to go all right paul I'm fucking I'm stoked. I it you know immediately I I wondered what the time frame was going to be between like season one and season two. I never watched any of the season two trailers. Um, I I half expected just to come back and everyone was going to be big and just like you know comic style, <laughs> not even address it. Um, but you know not the case. Um, I'm I'm loving seeing the character interactions that I loved last season. You know seeing them more. I already really like the new characters despite how they look. I'm in. I'm in it. I I mean, it was the same thing with season one for me. I sat down. I watched it because I don't remember why. And I fucking loved it. And I was on for the ride. All right. Good. All right. So the synopsis, Niles, Jane, Cliff, Rita, Vic and Dorothy are still miniature sized. And Niles will have to sacrifice something precious to save the team. Okay, so by way of the chief's betrayal, we get our setup for the new season. They didn't forget anything. They didn't just move past certain elements. And you and I, Dave, I believe during our season finale discussion, we had mentioned that they kind of shelved the issue with the chief because they had a a greater enemy, Mr. Nobody. Yes. And we both said that the moment Mr. Nobody's dealt with, there's no way any of these people are just going to simply roll over and say, yes, chief, we love you again. Let's be a happy family again. Yeah. And sure enough, that was pretty much the foundation for for the beginning of the season. And this episode used the aftermath as a bit of an epilogue for last season to get things moving into place. And that's a that's a missing art for TV. Uh, Paul had said he half expected that we would tune in and everybody would be big size again. And the reason why he would probably think that is because a lot of TV nowadays, they allow so much time to go by between season finales. And logically, it doesn't make sense if we deal with an issue that was bothering someone from two years ago. So we kind of breeze past it, whereas they allow time to move forward so that we don't waste time settling in. And they use it simply as the foundation. Yeah, they they said it's just been a couple of weeks yeah. that they were small and I think I mean honestly that w- that was smart, right? Because if they if they 
escape the painting and everybody was big, then like, you know, fuck the chief, fuck this. And they then would just everybody, leave. everybody splits yes. up. Having everybody small, like forces them to, you know, hang out together. They need yep. to be taken care of, so to speak, uh, by negative man. And, um, you know, they're, they're forced to interact to minor degrees because, because they have to. Yeah. And it brings, and the thing is, it brings the connections. Uh, the characters don't notice it, but we as the audience, I don't know if you guys noticed it. By doing that, it kind of connected them to the the chief or Niles Calder by the end. Because you see, like, while Calder made a decision that basically traumatized all of them, the reasons behind why he did it kind of, like, overtly connect to each and every one of the characters. I mean, he made the decision to save because he wants to save his daughter. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't malicious. And it's very similar in vain, like with robot man. Right. I mean, what, what's the one trauma last season His basically un- inability to get over the fact that he cannot go back to his daughter. Mm-hmm. And then with Jane, it's, it's, it's about the connection of seeing Dorothy being like the colder, being that father figure. And then Dorothy, uh, Jane basically saying, you're not my friend. <laughs> and it's yeah. like it, it it's it connects so well with season one where you kind of you saw that gene thought niles as like a father figure yeah and suddenly well it's got to rub salt in the wound when you know you thought you were his little girl exactly. and then you realize that you're simply a scientific experiment or a science experiment to help his real daughter and, essentially and you're literally having like his relationship with that real daughter, daughter. rubbed in your face daily <laughs> daily yeah. let's, let's start with that because i don't want to get all over the place <laughs> yeah. um let's stay focused so they got the ball rolling with that teaser because we're talking about dorothy let's continue the scene with dorothy at the circus they set up what could possibly be <laughs> one of the threats of the season and a part of me thinks if this was any other show, I'd be like, no, that's not the myth arc. But we all know that this show now knows how to make the the most minimalist of things, the the big villain, the big bad, something epic. So you have the Wendigo. I believe that's what it was, right? Yes. We saw that last season briefly yeah. when the beard hunter made his appearance. Beard hunter, right? Is that what it, who it yeah, was? Yeah, the beard yeah. hunter. But now we were introduced to several more imaginary friends of Dorothy's that have been brought to the forefront. I yeah. don't really want to get into who they are at the moment. I wouldn't want to spoil anything for anyone, but Dave, perhaps at the <laughs> end of the show, after our final thoughts, we can get into some source material stuff. Cause I know you have read all of the doom patrol. Comics. Yeah, dude, I was giddy with this episode too, because as a comic book fan of doom patrol, just seeing all the little nods and everything and all the characters that, you know, show up. It made it fun for me on a, on another level, okay. like normally from a source material angle. Okay. Are you happy with what they're doing? Absolutely. With Dorothy so far. Yes. Cause you had mentioned specifically, they better get Dorothy, right? You oh, said that last oh, season. Absolutely. They, they have to, because like the story of Dorothy without giving any spoilers is very emotional. It's very t- It's one of the things that is kind of a center point for the doom patrol. So they have to get that character, right? And I hope they do, but by all accounts, it looks like they're, they're willing to go that route. Let's just say that. I don't want to give out any spoilers as you said. That's fine. Yeah. But the way that they're writing and everything, they're not afraid. They're not afraid to go 
to areas that are going to hurt you. So as a Doom Patrol fan, you're happy with the portrayal of Dorothy so far? Dorothy, yeah, absolutely. All right. So looking at this just as a sheer or from a sheer narrative aspect, the setup is there. This seems to be the myth arc. How fast was that when you think about it? Yes, we have six episodes less, but it shows you how great these writers are. The fact that they can say, boom, 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 set up, <laughs> set up. <laughs> let's move on. And it doesn't feel rushed at any point. And you take that combined with the chief's sacrifice, as we saw at the end, when the chief gave Kipling his necklace. Essentially, I can only assume sacrificing himself for the rest of the team. And I have to mention this, and I think you DC fans are going to appreciate this as well. I appreciate Doom Patrol bringing the cost of magic concept into the show. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of DC Comics. The idea that magic comes with a cost, and unfortunately, it's a concept that is all but tossed out whenever the writers of a DC series don't want to be bothered with that bit of important continuity. Well, yeah, because like it, it, it's a cheat. It's a cheat. If you can use magic whenever you want, then it, it makes your job as a writer easier. And I think that's why so many people don't ever bring in that really, really focus on the idea that in the world of DC, magic comes with a fucking cost every single time, especially certain areas of magic. When you're dealing with things that are big you're not going to solve your problem without with magic unless unless you pay the piper unless you pay the cost it's it's why certain titles like in the vertigo were so popular because they did not hold your hand they showed you the harsh reality of the situation that while these characters are super heroic everything has a price there's something of uh like a a balance that has to be maintained right and just like what you said is like the problem is with magic, especially in any form of like writing, right? It's very easy to turn it into a crutch. Absolutely. Just for the writer, just use it as a crutch and basically say, wave your hands, suspend belief. That's always been something that I always hear in writing classes that you have to suspend belief. Yeah, you do to a degree. But you have to make that suspend belief at least logical. And that's why, just as a side note here, that's why the concept that magic comes with a cost is it is a way that the writers of comics and various other DC properties hold themselves accountable. Because if continuity didn't dictate great cost with great displays of magic, then a lazy ass writer can fix anything at any time. So you have that. It's also a literary gimmick to keep you in check. So the fact that the very magic required to bring Doom Patrol back to normal size and fix the immediate problem is tied to the chief's life. It shows you how much these writers understand the source material as well as the DC world. Yeah. Because can you imagine if they just called Kipling and he's all boom, they're fixed. I'm like, well, then what the <laughs> fuck? Why, why, why was this a dilemma? Why were they small for weeks? So it just shows the thought process. In terms of writing, making sure everything connects and works. Well, how are we going to get them bigger? Do we want to waste two or three episodes? No, let's connect the fix to the myth arc, which is exactly what they did, especially when we saw that ending scene about, you know, father dying. You know, we know that's going to be something that's going to rear its head at any moment. Yeah. 
it's a smart way to get your show going, stay true to source material, and also create a tense situation, create some some suspense, raise the stakes, if you will, right off the bat, get the ball fucking rolling. We only have nine episodes. So it was strong. It shows restraint and it shows patience. Okay, so season one brought a lot of closure to the immediate problems for our heroes. They learned a lot about themselves, right? They made decisions, good or bad. Good or it bad. It doesn't matter. They reacted to the events around them, and they changed. And that's what a properly written series does. But yes. as we had discussed last season, trauma doesn't just end. And we had alluded to this. At the top of the show. And essentially, we are going to be exploring additional moments. And I like that. I believe we talked about that. Again, I don't remember. I probably should have went back and listened to our discussions. But I believe, Dave, you and I talked about this. That the trauma we dealt with are, are mere moments in the life of these individuals who have lived decades. If, and when you're dealing with these characters that have been living in misery pretty much 80% of their life, there are so many different moments that make up trauma. It's not just a single moment at times. So it seems like what we're going to be doing with this season is exploring those numerous moments, or at least highlighting a few key elements that the writers can use to really flesh out our characters that much more. Let's take a look at Vic. The only cyborg I've ever liked. I think, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, his problems seem to be getting worse. He's got to deal with his PTSD. And this is going to be interesting to see unravel because essentially you have a guy who has a bit of an ego and understandably, I mean, he's a superhero. If you remember back in episode one of last season, he was already on the streets. He already had a name for himself. Yeah. And now he's being forced to deal with something psychological. Which he's not prepared for. No, it probably it probably doing a number on his self-esteem. Here you have a guy who thought he was on top of the world now that was out there saving people. But now suddenly his confidence has been has been messed with as a hero. He's got to regain his self-confidence and possibly rediscover who he is and his self-identity. And I'm hoping that's the direction they go. I think so, too, especially when season one where they left off. I mean... The biggest trauma that he's he had was in the very end when he nearly kills his dad, and that that still haunted him even in through the the final moments of doesn't season trust one. Himself, right? He doesn't yeah. trust himself. Well, yeah. and how how fucked is it that the the events you know I'd say probably the two events that haunt him most, um, you know his his mother dying and then him almost killing his own dad mm-hmm. were both like one. The mother dying thing that he remembers vividly and it haunts him isn't even how that situation played out. Right. Yeah. So like. He can't like, even it's, trust it's, it's what almost, he remembers. It's almost wrong to feel bad about that. And then, you know, what he did to his dad was because of like heavy, heavy uh, manipulation and influence mm-hmm. from somebody else. So like granted, yes, he did that and he can feel bad about it. But in that moment, he was justified doing it until it turned out that he wasn't and he had no control over that. Yeah. And if you think about it, by the end of the season, he thought that nobody was the one who would give him the greatest trauma. But in the end, it's the one person they introduced the fact that he trusted the most, which was Niles. And then when he comes to the realization, 
this is all Colder's fault. Yeah. This is his doing. Well, yeah. Plus plus the immediate paranoia you see that he's got it, about nobody. It makes it worse because yeah, nobody nobody, you know, nobody did the the uh, did to made him do what he did to his dad. But at the end, it all starts with Niles. Right. And like that has to be not just ego shattering, that has to be like personality shattering. Well, it has everything to do with who he wants to be moving forward because we're dealing with a show that has a lot to do with self-identity and how you identify and how can you even attempt to try to figure out who you are when you can't even trust who you are the things you're saying trust the people who are supposed to be closest to you you can't trust what you're seeing i mean this is a fucking great story for him i mean it's it's horribly sad but it makes me very interested in seeing how this guy is going to you know reclaim his confidence and his trust and that's why i thought it was genius teaming uh, pairing him up with rita because rita wants to be a hero she wants to continue it on so she goes to the only person that has any qualifications to be a hero, which is Cyborg. Does he even have qualifications anymore? Do you think he kind of lost the whole the team? Out of the whole I team. Was, <laughs> I was on the track, Justice League 2022. Uh, and then two weeks later, I beat the fuck out of my dad. Yeah. yeah. And then like, but what do you think, what do you think about it? He's the only one that actually has any qualifications. Yeah. I mean, he's, he stopped crime. He's fought, you he's know, fought, petty theft. He's, and, and he's done the superhero thing. Everybody else. Are you kidding me? Like prior, <laughs> yeah. Prior to fighting Mr. Nobody at the end of last season, what did anybody else done? Maybe beat up or kill or rip in half some Nazis and then like <laughs> create a dam, dam out of a street. Yeah. So Rita, she actually seems to have her wits about her more than anyone else. It seems like she is a little more confident with who she is. She has decided to embrace her abilities, but still struggles to control her emotions. So not all is well in the world of Rita. No. And it shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't be. Although I do like that they gave her a bit of confidence. That's something that she was completely lacking. And And drive. Like she she has she has a goal. She has a want other than just like existing, I guess. Yeah. And I'm I'm so happy that they continued it on because one of the best moments of season one was Rita, you know, having to deal with that kid. And seeing that the kid was uh, was what the kid was going through, and in the very end, you have that really kind of heroic moment when Rita goes to the kid and tries her best to save him, and she does, and she doesn't. But it actually galvanizes her character to basically say, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let this happen again." Yeah, mm-hmm. Paul, you bring up Drive, and that's um, that's a good point because we, when you have someone like Rita who has done a lot of bad things if you remember i mean fuck the things that she has done in her past are awful they're awful i mean mean, she's a bad person that's why (laughs) metaphorically she's disgusting looking because she she basically manifests herself into how she feels feels within the inside so when you have someone like that who went through all that shit has discovered or discovered who she is and who or who she wants to be and she's willing to face those demons and and acknowledge that she has done some horrible things, which she did acknowledge that last season. So now you have someone who typically, once they figure out and are, and face their demons, where they typically do, they now, if they're a good person, they try to correct 
the mistakes they've made by helping others. And I feel like that's part of her drive. She wants to be a superhero so that she can help people rather than hurt people. So it makes sense. Everything they're setting up for these characters so far, specifically with Rita at this moment, I'm liking it. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's struggling still with her self-esteem. That's not going to go away. She still doesn't quite like who she is, but she's becoming a little more comfortable in her skin. I like it a lot. Now, Jane has kind of fallen back into her old ways. <laughs> she's forgiven the chief, but that doesn't mean she's going to be his friend. I believe that's what she had said. Yeah, we're not in this friends. episode. That was cold. That uh, was this, really cold. Well, dude, I mean, the betrayal, I think it hit her worse than anyone. I mean, Rita seems to have kind of forgiven him because she's an adult. She doesn't deal with the type of neglect and abandonment and abuse that Jane dealt with necessarily. Yes, Rita also had her own fair share of abuse by a parent that put too many expectations on her. But Jane's abuse is more physical and she's a lot more broken, as we have seen. So the betrayal of Niles, she's not going to get over that. Even if she wants to be the tough guy and be like, fuck it, I don't need him. You know she's broken in the inside, and that's why she has resorted, I should say, to avoidance. Avoidance seems to be her favorite ally, which her other personalities don't seem to be all about. Yeah. Which is interesting. And from a writing perspective, I fucking love it because you got to have characters change. That's the whole point. Now, if you just had Jane fall right back in, you're like, well, then what was the point of last season? Come on. Well, you got to remember, Jane is more than just one character. Yes. Her other characters have fucking changed. Yes. That's fucking clever. So from a writing perspective, Jane might have fallen back into her old ways, but that that does not mean her other personalities have. Well, that's why that particular scene with her and her uh, personalities, on my second go around of watching the episode, that was actually kind of like really eye-opening because I just came to realize that whole scene's an intervention it's not like an intervention in the real world where she has like different people, but she has her personalities who are different people. Mm-hmm. They're intervening on her and like saying it's time for a change. And it's like, that's an intervention. Yeah. And I, the thing I really liked, it went as I thought an intervention should, because it's not going to be like a snap. That, okay. Everything's fixed. Jane, Follows what the the personalities tell her, and it's time for a change. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't work that way. Is that how yeah. interventions go? Because the interventions I've been a part of, they usually tie me down with rope <laughs> to a chair, and they sprinkle holy water on me. Is is that an intervention? That's an, <laughs> no, that's an exorcism. That's, a, that's an exorcism. Oh, oh. <laughs> but then then they they don't leave it at that. They either, don't leave it. You know, with you know, as we see at the end with the etched into the dresser. Uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna keep harping on. They're her. gonna har- keep harping on her, and that's what she truly needs. that's truly what a person uh, like her needs. And it, you know, on a bit more of a realistic and serious approach, it hit me the hardest because I went through that. I went through that at going through intervention and you know my alcoholism and stuff like that. I had friends telling me you gotta change. You gotta. You know, Mike was one of them. He said, you got to get your shit together. I did. And you hated me. And for you, like a I year hated and a half, him for him. maybe two years. And then like I went through intervention so many, so many times. And then like I watched this and I'm like, huh, the second go around. I'm like, 
holy shit, that is how I, I applaud the writers because they get it. I scribbled on um, on a piece of, <laughs> a paper, piece of paper and <laughs> handed to David. Said time for a change. And then when but, he didn't listen, I then went into his house and and etched it into his it, nightstand. Time it's for my a night, nightstand that tattooed it on my arm. I did that, Paul. That's a little inside <laughs> peek into our, our relationship. <laughs> but like. That's how an intervention goes. A lot of people have a misconception of how an intervention should be where we tell them that they have to change and we expect them to okay, change yeah, right you're away. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It, and, and I don't think no. intervention ever goes that smooth. <laughs> yeah. Interventions like the starting point. It starts and then it's up to the person. Have you ever had point. a sexual intervention? That's pretty fun. That- <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So quick question, Dave and Paul. So the time for a change right now, we're looking at it as a, you know, an optimistic, hey, we're here and it's time for a change. Or do you think it's more of a warning? It's time for a change. Okay. Cause that's yeah. what I got from it. Time for a change felt like a warning. Are they going to take her from the light? What do they call it? The underground. No, no, no. When um, people when, have when you're the, on the surface, when you're on the surface, some people call it the light. Some people call it the chair. I forgot how they explained it for Jane. Was the, it a chair? When you I, go up, it was it yeah. was going up from the subway because remember, they ride the subway. And, OK, is that how they explained it? OK, yes. for her. OK, so they choose people that can handle certain personalities that can handle what life throws at them to be the face. Is do you the, think they're or do you think they're threatening saying? You're going to be pulled. Yeah. Is, is Jane going to lose her rights as primary? Right. Yeah. And is uh, that what your guys are getting from it? Yeah. I'm with Paul. It's a warning, but it's also a little of both for me because like then, you, then as a person, like I was talking about with the intervention, it's kind of like the other way too, well, like, where it's like, you've got this responsibility. We need you we need to be you. the one that handles this. Yeah. So because that's the whole point. This. Right. But if you're not going but if you're to. Not, We'll do something else. <laughs> we're gonna because do something about it. if memory, you guys got to help me remember because I didn't go back and do a rewatch of the first season. Now, when she does drugs, it stupefies all of them, correct? They all are pretty much inept. Yes. Isn't that why they get mad at her? Because they all just sit there? Yeah. And kind of, well, okay. it's, yeah, I think it makes it so that nobody can go up. Nobody can go up okay. at that point. Yeah. Now, they want her to deal with her problems from last year, I'm assuming. They want her to deal with the girl correct the girl from the was it the the daddy the whole daddy oh scenario? yeah that's not done yet okay I didn't think, cause <laughs> they, didn't they specifically mention the girl that she's got to deal with this yeah okay because yeah. like yeah, the, that's the, why they all exist that's why they all exist and that was the problem with which we only scraped the the surface we only of scraped that situation. It, yeah, because she didn't even destroy the well yeah. she confronted it the well's still there. One of the most disturbing <laughs> moments of TV. Oh, the dude. whole daddy thing. It's that, just that just left you like feeling sick yeah, afterwards. Yeah. All right. So Larry will be confronting more moments from his life that he left behind, or so he thought. What a perfect way to show people that they cannot run from their past. Dude, this was the biggest surprise for me. Yeah. Biggest surprise. I did not think they would take it down this direction although fuck it makes sense but it makes sense it makes absolute you know when you think about it normally i was like thinking other oh, guy go keep on pushing the fact that he needs to accept himself well we kind of saw that at the very end he accepted himself 
here they took a left turn and said, okay, now that we dealt with that, we got to deal with the trauma that basically his, his wrongdoings in the past have come back. Okay. The the first season he was, you know, you have to, you have to be okay with who you are. Um, And then this second season, like you have to, I don't know, not atone, but like you have to realize what what you you were did to everybody else. And oh my God, dude, I did not know that we were going to go down that way. And by the end of the episode, when you get to his son and you find out, I, I literally almost teared up because that's sad. That is so sad that basically this whole time, Larry, like in first season, he's been trying to chase the fact that except himself, you know, except his family and everything else. Now he's dealing with the neglect, but well, hold, it's too late. Well, hold on. I, yes, I, I agree. It's too late. I mean, I, I, now just to clarify, it's literally too late. It's yeah, just to clarify, his son recently killed himself, correct? Yes. And that's what the entity was trying to show him. Like yep. this had just happened. This had just happened. Okay. All right. So last well, season, I think that was, it was literally happening at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. That's and, fucking. and imagine that, imagine that, that basically you have to know that your child and you watch it. Well, cause I get the sense that Larry watched it because yeah, yeah that's, that's, this is what's happening right now. And then he, he couldn't stop it. Mm-hmm. How freaking traumatizing is that? <laughs> and he, he was, you know, the the spirit like connects their little brains in those situations. And when the brain was no longer in that guy because it was on the wall, they weren't connected anymore. <laughs> and, and it ended. And it ended. So last season we had a Larry that was dealing with a lot of self loathing and shame because he was a gay man during a time that was considered taboo or unacceptable. It's something he never really got over from last season. He had, he confronted it and we had seen him confront the man that he was in love with. And that was heartbreaking because the moral of that fucking story was the dude grew old, moved on because he accepted who he was, had a wonderful life. And then he looks at Larry and says, you're still stuck. Yeah. Like, all these years and you still haven't accepted who you are and it shows you it's such a beautiful example of how you cannot run from your problems and that again is what they're using for Larry this season because Mm -hmm. he had stuck his head in the sand and said fuck it that life is over I hate myself I'm I essentially am dead I have moved on and he just completely forgot about his past, never thinking about the people he left That's like behind. his like his children. And yet again, what did he see? Not his son when he was 15, not his son when he was six or seven. He saw his son at the end of his life because he is stuck. Everyone else has moved on and it's not going to end well for everyone. These are the people you are leaving behind and you're hurting people by not accepting who you are. And that's what it comes down to. And I'm not I'm not trying to shame people from I don't want the point. I'm, I don't want people thinking my point here is that I'm shaming individuals who are in the closet because that is your own personal uh, decision to make. However, as I said last season, there is a lot of conversation about. People who are trapped in the closet 
and for, for whatever reason, religious reasons, because they're in a marriage. And what you see is many times it creates more harm than good. Yeah. Well, like you said, he, he had his head kind of in the sand, like this whole time up until very recently. And, you know, not to say that an individual can't make a decision or can't like work through something by themselves, but, you know, coming out, doing that, um, you know, the support helps a lot and him like self-isolating for decades <laughs> didn't give him any opportunities to help himself so yeah. he kind of just withdrew further yeah into into his self-loathing and that's that's the whole point there is that he hates himself so much how can others accept who he is if he doesn't accept himself it's very philosophical. It's very poetic. And I could not be happier and sad at the same time that they're utilizing similar thematic elements to keep his story together. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, dude, it was I knew there was going to be a moment where I teared up during the, the show. And I'm not a heavily emotional guy. And the fact that this show fucking does it to me every time. It was during this moment. I was like, shit, this is this is a little can we wait till like episode three, <laughs> three for something <laughs> before we get this deep? Oh dude, when they had when they cut to that flashback of him and his son and his son the plane incident. Yeah, dude, it's it's like Yeah. It and it's and the thing that hurts the most is like Larry wasn't doing anything malicious. He wasn't doing something stupid like breaking the plane in front of his son or something. He just basically didn't appreciate it i don't think it was about what he did to his son more than it's about more than it is about him and his regret and remorse because when you hate yourself like larry does you literally scrutinize the decisions you make and you live in the past and you're like fuck i did that to my kid once and you hate yourself for it. And you hate yourself for it. So I think that's what it's more about. It was more about just yet again him showing a sense of regret. Yeah, and it's his own scrutinizing that scrutinizing himself all of a sudden translates over to the people that he cares about. He scrutinizes his son. He scrutinizes his wife. He scrutinized last season his 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 own lover at one point. That was that was him also. That was very shortly before the flight, right? Where he crashed and like very shortly after presumably died mm-hmm. yeah, um, or got left or however you want to work that out. So one of his last memories of interacting with his son was, hey, dad, I built this thing. Cool. Right. But I'm going to be a dick right now and tell you why it's wrong. wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just just dwelling on past dwelling memories on past and memories. flawed yeah. opportunities. Oh, man. And Cliff relives memories of his past life. <laughs> He's such a. He's dude, such a messed up dude, he, Okay. Please tell me. Fraser was in a fat suit. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to believe I, it. He was. He like. He definitely. Like we hadn't seen him in a while, right? Last 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 season, the first right. season, seeing him in Doom Patrol was like the first time I had seen him in a in while. Years, yeah. Um. And he chunked up, like because yeah. he got older, and right. you know, yeah. it is what it is. But it he was, but he was happy, and you know, good for you. Mm-hmm. Got out of that. Got out of that situation. <laughs> got out of that situation. Um, fast. But I uh, yeah, he's he's way chunkier now, and the. <laughs> The the way that his chin and neck look make me feel like it's real. Yeah. Oh, 
It is. I think it is because the, that's how you could tell it's not a fat suit. Jesus. Because of the, the chin and the neck. And I'm like, because I do that with myself. I go, Jesus Christ, look at my chin and neck. Do you, do you ever look at yourself and think you're in a fat suit? Like, yeah. this can't be real. This can't be real. Oh, look at my chin and neck. That's real. <laughs> and I'm like going, when you, when you mentioned it off air beforehand, I was like going, I feel for Brendan Fraser. I really do. <laughs> I understand it now. Yeah. Well, it's not entirely clear what his problems will be exactly this season, but it does seem like it has to do with being a father and dealing with his shitty upbringing at the same time. Well, not only that, it's about him dealing with his emotions because that's all he has right now. Because you got to remember well, by I'm, season I'm talking about his the reason why we saw him in the past. The see, yeah. yeah. Well, the, 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 the reason why we saw the, the focus of the flashback. Yeah. But like overall, I think like his, his whole story arc is still trying to come in terms with the fact that he doesn't have any sensations. He doesn't, all he has is his memories and his emotions. That's why he cusses a lot, which is hilarious because anger is the easiest emotion to right. to attain. So that's why. But they're <laughs> tying he is that the way he is. They're tying that with uh, a similar thematic aspect that they're using, obviously, for the entire season, which is about being a good father a good or father. being a shitty father. If you look yep. at everything they're doing, a lot of it seems to be falling in that or going in that direction because then we have Niles's situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Niles will have to learn to be a better father. And what does this mean exactly? Don't threaten to lock up your daughter. (laughs) Well, see, the the sad part is that worked. That worked. And like when you when you take a step back, you said, Jesus Christ, that's just brutal. But yeah, it worked. Like it's it's fucked up, it's but you callous could, logic. You could tell it hurt him to say that. Yeah, which I think is one of the. Like, if that hadn't been so clearly conveyed, if he hadn't been, like, if he hadn't been so upset about even having to say it, it would be really easy to get on board, like, the fuck Niles this season train. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think, like, it's, you know, he didn't he, enjoy he doesn't, it. He doesn't want to do that. It's just the only way to handle her. And also, there's a whole story going on mm-hmm. that we're probably going to learn eventually, maybe not even this season. The things he does, yes, it could be. He is a bit of a French scientist. He's out there. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure they're going to start fleshing out the reasons why he's doing certain things and how at the end of it all, it was coming from a good place. It's not a selfish place. And they are introducing those thoughts because of his daughter. So I don't know if we're going to get through and work through all of that this season, I don't think anything's going to justify his actions. I'm not saying no. they will say, oh, but this is why he did it. But you are also going to be able to understand. And that's the point of of a character like this. I don't think we're ever going to say, yeah, good. You did. A, OK, yeah, all is forgiven. But we do want to understand why characters make certain decisions. And that that's one of the strengths of Doom Patrol as a series is it doesn't convey, you know, good or evil. Right. It because in season one everyone you kind of understand everyone's motivations you know the reason why they are the way they are it doesn't make them bad it just makes them broken and it makes them human and i think that's the entire point of all these characters is i don't want to say any of them are evil rita has done some pretty fucked up shit but is that evil or is that just you know, being a shitty person, being a shitty person. person. And I feel like a lot of these people have just made shitty decisions in their life and are struggling to make amends and trying to be better people. 
And if you put the whole Niles saying, telling his daughter that he's going to lock her up again, if you put that again. into a real life perspective, first off, we're dealing with the supernatural. We're dealing with creatures inside of her that can murder people. I mean, I think most of us can look, if you have a kid, there, there are, t- I'll use myself as an example. There are times where I might have raised my voice a little too much at my son. And, uh, and then I'm like, shit, why did I do that? There's no reason for that. Does it make me a bad person? Does it make me a, uh, a bad parent? No. Now put that into an extreme situation. Fucking put your monsters away. You're going to murder everybody or I'm going to have to lock you yeah. up. <laughs> it, it is. It well, is. It, it's complicated. And it's that's complicated. why that's why it works. A big thing for this show is that like even if you are not like any of the characters, even if all of their experiences and their personality are nothing like you, every character is relatable mm-hmm. because of the way their their personalities and their perspectives are very clearly defined, defined and like provided for us every situation is like situation times personality slash perspective equals outcome you understand why everyone did everything they did in every situation yeah good bad or otherwise good bad or otherwise so his his story is probably going to focus on you know, making a bit of a amends. Uh, he's also going to have to prove himself as a father, but not just to Dorothy, but his other children too. That's going to be a big part. He's going to have to regain their trust. This episode was heavy. It was. And as I said a few moments ago, a part of me was hoping we had started, we would start a little light. Like, let's can, <laughs> have can a we, little can, appetizer. Can we ease in? <laughs> You know, but despite the heaviness, there were some of those classic Doom Patrol moments of levity. You had the Jane and Cliff moment talking about who do you have to fuck to get a daughter like that? I mean, <laughs> you want to go fuck up some rats? That's the thing that was fuck so yeah. messed up. And then the thing was, Dorothy's all nice to them, but they talk behind her back. And it's like, wow. What did, their, what did Niles, who did Niles have to fuck to get a daughter like that? Uh, the moment when Dorothy's friends throw the toy vehicle off the table and <laughs> we just hit it. <laughs> that was awesome. So there are moments and that's what you have to do with a show like this. You got to when you're dealing with heavy themes and just just content that that can weigh on an audience. You have to bring those moments of levity. And this show knows how to balance that out like like no other show I've ever watched. You have moments where you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to take a fucking knife and slit my wrist. It's so fucking morbid. And then, ah, funny jokes. Tiny pancakes and eyedropper syrup. Oh, dude, that was awesome. Seeing Larry try to figure out how to take care of everybody. Matchstick tense. Yeah. All right. So final thoughts. Paul, final thoughts and your RMD score. Oh, damn it. I forgot about the score. Um. I think just in general, like, like we, Bobby and I have a thing on like legends where like every episode is like a 70 or to 75 or 75 to 80 or something. I don't remember, which really isn't helping my point right now, but like every episode <laughs> falls in there. I feel like doom patrol is the same kind of thing where just as a show, it is so good. I, d- I don't think I could ever see an episode being lower than like an 85. Um, but I mean, this this immediately followed up on how the last season ended. It immediately set us up for the next season. I have no real worries about the nine episode count. Um, I got to see like what I wanted 
in like the the fun things that I remembered from every character as well as development in where they're going to go this season immediately. Um, I actually really like Niall's daughter, the little, little actress. She's mm-hmm. she's real solid. I hate her face, but that's her whole gimmick. That's her so, whole gimmick. Um, this show is so good at making making it hard to look at the screen sometimes. <laughs> I, I just, I have... I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, it was just like the first season or the first episode of the first season. I watched it, not really even knowing what to expect. And I was like immediately hooked. I'm on board. Here we go. So, uh, I think I'm going to do like a, I don't know. I don't, don't want to blow my rating for, for the season. Moving <laughs> just forward do either, it. What feels right? Like 87 feels real good. Okay. David, go. Uh, I agree with Paul in all his points and everything. I mean, I've listened to your guys' show. That's a high praise for a show, especially like going for you guys, 85. My score is easily a 90 mm-hmm. because I love the fact that they carried on everything. Plus some of the new, uh, new elements they've threw in there, especially defining Dorothy's superpowers was absolutely awesome for me because as a comic book fan and a fan of the the series, I kept wondering how are they going to actually differentiate Dorothy from Jane mm-hmm. because their power sets so similar, especially in the comics, the way they did it here with the visuals of her blowing out the candle. That was one of my favorite visuals where she makes a wish mm-hmm. and then bad stuff happens. And I love that. That was the, the opening scene had me hooked with the carnival mm-hmm. because of just the blend between the gore factor and the, the strange factor of everything made it more appealing for me. It wasn't a straight horror fest where blood splatters everywhere, but it was enough shock value to basically kind of wake you yeah, I mean, up. We, as we still had a decapitated body. Yeah, we had a decapitated <laughs> body, but like everything else continued on with their strong narrative. They took turns that I didn't expect, which is a plus because I never want this show to become predictable. Because last season was so unpredictable. That was one of my high points for the entire series was I didn't know where they were going. This is actually really fun for a change. So I am really happy with episode one. I think people need to jump on to the show faster than they did the season one. Because season one, there wasn't a huge clamor till the very end because people were like screaming how good the show was. And then people started bleeding in. I I really hope that people who give this show a chance start from right now you're gonna enjoy it it's one of the best superhero shows out there arguably the best superhero show right now okay i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a 96 (laughs) percent dang you outdid me for a change and the reason why is because i mean this is how you write a season premiere it's a lost art. People who listen to my discussions, because I do so many breakdowns and reviews, we're not in the golden age of TV anymore. No. Television ha- is mediocre currently. And I'd say it's been mediocre for the last uh, probably five, six years. This show is excellent. The way the episode is written, you have plot progression. You have the myth arc setup. You have a teaser that gets the ball rolling. You have... Each of our characters, their stories restarted while at the same time maintaining your overall narrative. You introduce new ideas. All of this in 52 minutes. 
not only do we have the obvious, but then you have uh, the the thematic aspect uh, pertaining to fatherhood, family, trauma. How much can you fucking pack into a single episode? Not to mention the metaphorical side in terms of production value. The fact that they chose a miniature town and you have a sense of isolation where it's just them. They're prisoners of their own pain. It's just it's fantastic. 96%. And they have set the bar for the rest of the season. We are going to take a very quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to get into some minor spoilers. You can talk about uh, Dorothy a bit. Are you prepared for that, Dave? Oh, absolutely. Okay, we'll be right back. Hey, DC and RMD listeners, all this year, we will be featuring a product of the week. So be sure to look within the description of each and every podcast this TV season and click through those links. Whenever you purchase an item through our links, each purchase helps our network grow. And we're able to keep the lights on within the studio. Keep Rayman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging $1 to $10 a month. Go to patreon.com slash Digital to pledge. Fair. Yeah. No effort for that one. Life is short. Fuck. I like that too. Oh, God. In the most recent study, the site found 30% of its female users are having cyber sex with their affair partners and 14% of its male users wow. are having virtual sex with if, theirs. If you're choosing, okay, if I'm in a relationship with said female, let's say, and she's choosing cyber sex over a real dick, I mean, just fucking end my life. Like, listen, honey, you want to divorce me? Tell me. And then take this knife and slit my wrist and my throat and cut my cock off because I, I have no reason to live. If you're cheating on me and you hate me that bad and you're actually trying to have cyber sex. Not even real sex. Not even, thank you. Not even real sex. That's my point. That's my point, Thomas. <laughs> it's fucking embarrassing. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Oh man, that one hit close to home. Right there. Yeah, I think that trigger. That was a trigger. Oh my god, we triggered. The Rain Man Show, exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Head over to RainmanDigitalMedia.com for more details, or search for it wherever you listen to podcasts. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. 
right, welcome back, everyone, to DC and RMD's Doom Patrol edition. If you don't want any potential spoilers, I don't know why you're listening right now. Push stop, throw your phone away, drop it in the toilet. (laughs) All right, Dave, so shed a little bit of light on Dorothy, her abilities, and the potential characters that was introduced in this episode by way of her imaginary friend aspect. Well, Dorothy, Dorothy is basically similar. Her power set is similar to Jane's where she, she has multiple quote unquote personalities in her arsenal that she could summon. So does she have more than just the people we saw? She has a lot. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, she, uh, just on the wiki, I think there's about 15 or 18 different imaginary friends. Now, are they evil or are they just overly protective? They're all different they, because they suit what she wants to imagine. That's the whole point. So they like, are completely fabricated by her. Yes. So she makes them. Yes. So the Wendigo you, from last season was just uh, her imagination. You want, uh, well, that's the thing. You're, they don't really oh, come wait out a second. and say it. I, I'm because meshing remember, the comic book with the TV show. Yeah, you're yeah. meshing with the comic with the TV show. In the in the TV show, the Wendigo was part was there with her mom, yeah. right? Yeah. And she wasn't even born yet. So yeah. I mean that that it could be from a story that her mother told her exactly. Right? So and then like with her, the first person I was happy with because the first person that they, they they decide let's go ahead and just bring out the one that every every Doom Patrol fan knows about. Which one is that? The Candle Maker. That's the voice. That's the voice. That's the voice that basically says, hey, we can do this. And the Candlemaker is like, he's like this very evil imaginary friend that basically is very protective of Dorothy. So he is evil. But he's evil because he's willing to do anything for Dorothy. So is he evil or is she evil for creating That's the question. That's the question is basically it's. Uh, in in the comic book, it's like an existential 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 crisis because, like, throughout the comic, Dorothy is just this young girl who has these who has these imaginary friends, but with this particular imaginary friend is very evil and willing to do anything. Well, like, so, like, as a little girl, if you're locked in a cage, surrounded by people you don't like, oh, you're gonna want um, to basically beat someone up. Well, you're you're, you're gonna <laughs> want to escape. You're gonna want to be free. You're gonna want to be safe. Yeah. So, you know, she lets him do his thing, and she like closes her eyes and cowers. Now, like, you know, potentially, is that real, or is she having him decapitate the ringleader and slaughter everyone in the audience? And is that's, that why? Like, is she now scared of herself? And that's, that's what we're thing. seeing. I know that that's what the, what, what the, the existential existential crisis. So in the comic book, Dave, is she, does she actually create entities that become real or are yes. they simply an extension of her? Like meaning no. it's actually just her doing it and they're not really there in the comic. She's able to actually just create them out of the blue. Okay. Not, and, and that's the one difference but that she has real. Yes. Okay. They are very real because like one of the major story points is towards her end, which deals with her actually creating a a version of Robot Man, and the whole story. You think that that's the real Robot Man, but it's not. It's her. It's her imagination because she was able to manifest him, and because she knows him so well by that time, 
it's real. It's a secondary robot, man. <laughs> and like the, the difference between her and Jane, Jane's able to actually manifest those personalities because they're a part of her. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, Dorothy is a lot of fans have always said Dorothy is actually uh, like a set a, a homage to Grant Morrison because Morrison was always able to pull out ideas out of the hat, just out of the blue. And like Dorothy is kind of similar in that vein where she, she literally can summon anything as long as she can imagine it. So if she imagines, okay. so if she imagines pink elephants Why with green she imagine dots, a happy life and a better father. I mean, problem solved end of the season because the trauma that happens to her outside, like how people treat her yeah. affect her mentally. And that's what is uh, her story in the comics is like the people who treat her because she has this great power it's ruined because of the people around her abusing her. Did you, did you read Future's End? Uh, yes. It was really bad. Was, was really she bad. in that? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. I can't remember that, but Future's End was bad. I, I just want to forget that one because yeah. <laughs> it ruined Batman Beyond. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I don't want to yeah. change the subject. I, just, I feel like I am vaguely familiar with this character beyond having seen her in one episode. But, like, Dorothy, Dorothy is such a cool character, and, like, Okay, so in the comic books, this is what I wanted you to get into a little bit more. But in the okay. comic books, he's a fictional character created by Grant Morrison. Candlemaker? Yes, yes. And his image is fucking stupid. He literally has <laughs> candles on his head. But it the Candlemaker is an, an egregore removed from the physical plane of existence eons ago, who one day discovers an opportunity to escape into the physical realm in the form of Dorothy Dorothy's Spinner. Yeah. An ape-faced girl with the ability to bring imaginary creatures to life. So... So he's not necessarily a creation of her. No, this, that's what you find out. The candlemaker ends up being an entity that's taking advantage no, of. That's what you find out later when store when the when Dorothy's run in Doom Patrol comes to an end. That's what you found out because they are uh, Arcudi, the writer at the time, decided to take concepts from uh, uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman universe and put it into here, where. The Candlemaker turns out to be kind of like this uh, being from another plane of existence similar to dream and death. Okay. And, and then he basically uses Dorothy. And he uses he Dorothy on- as kind of like a, a conduit. Okay. All right. He grants three wishes. That's his abilities. Yeah. Oh, so you we, just have to. Do we have any idea how many she's at now? Is it just the one from the cage? Well, that's the thing is like this one's a little different, especially with how they <laughs> they, so stupid. They, they brought in the fact that Dude, she Grant has Morrison's to blow ridiculous. out. She has to blow out the candle, which was different. I, I was like, going, I hope we see what he looks like, we, dude. Why are we? Why is she blowing out a candle? And then I come to realize, wait a minute. In the comic, he gives her wishes. So that makes sense to basically say like a birthday cake. You got to blow out the candle to make it happen. <laughs> in the penultimate arc of Grant Morrison's run for Doom Patrol, Dorothy makes a third and final wish. Yes. And I'm not going to say anymore because it'll be a major spoiler. So I think we should probably end this show. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Just search DC on RMD, the Doom Patrol edition. And good night. Side.